Hi, everyone. Today's episode speaks about domestic violence, violence against women, and sexual assault. So if any of those things trigger you, please give us a skip. And there are also resources in the show notes. Thanks. A listener production. Here at Listener, we acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We also pay our respects to their elders, past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. It's a lot, isn't it? everyone back for another week and this week we have a return guest i've been so excited to talk to him again he's just so great we love we love terrain it's terrain chawla he is an anti-domestic violence advocate anti-racism activist he is amazing on instagram he did our episode about how to apologize as an influencer he is the best smelling man in australia he has an obsession with colognes it's it's a whole thing he and just, he's got a new podcast out as well. He's got a new podcast out. Am I an asshole for not knowing that? <laughs> it was my problem. Jerome, do you hate like- me? No. Do I, I, just, I could never hate you. I have to say um, I'm sorry that we're not recording this in person. I was really looking forward to seeing you uh, oh. and uh, recording in person, I guess. But, yeah, like I'm, I'm glad that we can record. I've got COVID at the moment, so apologies to everyone that I sound the way that I sound. But I'm really glad that we can, um, we can get together and chat. I don't know. I kind of like a sick voice. Is that twisted? That I, whenever I'm sick, I'm like, "Sorry, guys, my voice is really raspy." Like I know it's not like hot, but I think you sound. I think you sound perfect. And I'm sad that I can't. <gasps> Have you got your sense of smell still? I lost my. I lost my sense of taste. Some would argue that I never had it, but <laughs> I, um, I. I lost that for a few days, which was really depressing because it was like all you wanted to do, and mm. all I wanted to do is eat junk food and taste it. So only joy like you'd was, have when you're sick. Yeah, I was like, I want to eat an an unhealthy amount of KFC. Like, there's no yeah. amount of KFC that's healthy, let's preface that. But, like, yeah. I want to eat a genuinely unhealthy amount of KFC. Yeah. I couldn't taste a thing. Um, uh-huh. But I could smell it, so I don't know. The The regret was still there afterwards. Well, that's good. We love that. Are you sad that you can't, you can, wait, you, you could smell, you couldn't taste, so you could still smell your colognes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, <laughs> so, I'm, I'm, I've, I've got, yeah, I've got you some love I'm just like I'm just, like, smelling for, like, you're like, yeah. Like, yeah, to feel better about myself. That sounds good, actually. <laughs> yeah. Those of you who missed it, actually go back and listen to it because it was one of my favourite episodes oh. ever and Trang is such an amazing, just an amazing chat. He's just so eloquent. He's so fucking I'm not going to try and be eloquent there. He's just such a good chat. So we were talking about how much he loves his uh, cologne. And what's that one, Tom Ford? I can't read the... Um, tobacco Vinny, Tom Ford. Harry Styles wears this as well. Um, okay. <laughs> just, yeah, if anyone's interested, anyway. Okay, you know what I got Conrad for? Conrad wore the same cologne as Matt Agnew. Can't have that. So I had to get him, yeah, had to get him a different one because um, it was very, very genuinely triggering. Like, Can we like, talk about what he what he used to wear and what he wears now? So Creed, you know the... Yeah, Creed, that, yeah. Yeah, that's what... Aventus? Matt, I'm going to say the black one. Yeah, that's Aventus. Yes. Yeah, black and silver, yeah. Aventus. Really, that's good. That's really popular actually and, and good. It's Quite amazing. Good. Yeah. So Matt Agnew wore that and then Conrad wore it, but he had run out when he met me, so he never wore it. And then I had to do like a sniff test at the airport to figure out if I could handle it, couldn't handle it. So I yeah. got him Aesop, um, I want to say not tacit, um, okay. Kash. Anyway, this is a very boring chat for everyone listening. But um, Yeah, everyone's like, what the hell is going on here? What, <laughs> what, have, I, what have I tuned into? Like, but no, anyway. these are luxe fragrances that we're talking about as well. Like I just want to, I, I think we should preface, oh. Abby, that yeah, we, we've lost touch with the common person when I we're know. talking about the Tom Fords and Creeds, right? Like this isn't, yeah, this isn't like chemist warehouse stuff. <laughs> I um, know. We've, yeah, we've sold out big time. Anyway, <laughs> let, let's just go back. To, this isn't a fragrance Let podcast. me just say, the, this is the one thing I miss about dating a man. Is the colognes? Oh, but they have no gender. Like you can go that and is get true. them that and is wear true, them. But my girlfriend wouldn't wouldn't wear them. Oh. She thinks they're too spicy. Oh. You can wear them, right? <laughs> if it makes spice. you happy. This is <laughs> the thing true. about fragrance, right? Like I, the amount, the the rigidity that we have around gender roles agree, in Australia, in particular, oh. and like the West is huge. Like Lem, you're from I'm assuming Jordan. from the Middle East, yes. Like ethnically, yeah, right. Like, and I'm from India, like South Asia. And there's so many things that we do in different parts of the world, whether it's fragrance or the way people dress, that like here, 
you'd get called all kinds of horrible things that you should never mm. be called regardless because they're so coded as being like a male mm. or female or masculine and feminine, whereas we don't mm-hmm. have that like in other parts of the world, right? Like men wear things that look like dresses and that's normal, mm-hmm. right? And it's not like it's not anything to be made fun of, not that it should be, but it's just so weird how we're so like, I don't know, regressive here when it comes to like gender roles and attitudes. Um, anyway, that's that a really was my good segue rant. into our conversation we're about to have. Terang, you've done it again. See? Good chat. Now, before we start, we are going to be speaking about domestic violence. We're going to be speaking about some pretty heavy topics, I'm assuming, well, a lot. But we had you on before last year, and the reason why it's in two parts is because what we're going to speak about is something very, very awful and horrendous, uh, but also very important to you, and I think it deserved an entire episode, and it's something that you speak about a lot in your socials, that is domestic violence against women in particular because of uh, your sister, Nikita. So can you run us through the story of your sister? Yeah. So, I mean, touching on what you just said, Abby, right? Like it's it's deeply personal and um, very close to home and very close to my heart. And it's it's strange. Like I've talked about it a lot, you know, talk about it publicly, whether it's on Instagram, on socials, or whether on like television, news and that kind of thing. And it's strange because like there's this idea that I have of her as a person and then the idea that like the public has of her as like a victim or a victim survivor. Mm -hmm. Um, But she had a, I mean, she didn't survive, she had her life taken from her. And so like that's sort of what started my journey into advocacy and talking about the issue in a public way. When I moved to Australia, my parents were kind of like, Um, we don't know if this is where we kind of want to live. We don't know if this is where we're going to be able to set up home. And it didn't feel like home for them. Like, to give you some context, like my parents moved when my mum would have been like 25, 26, 26, and she'd just been in an arranged marriage and had a child, um, me, within like the last two years, right? So her life had gone from being like a young 20-something-year-old woman to being married, having a husband who she didn't know a lot about, having a child and moving you know, in the late 80s to another country. And so she was kind of like, I don't know if this is going to be home. I don't know how we're going to live. I don't know how this is all going to work. And then a few years later, four years after I was born, my parents planned for another child and they had Nikki. You know, the conversations I've had with my mum, she says Nikki really completed our family. She really gave us like a base and a sense of belonging. Like this, this is now home. You know, like we'll get used to living here in this foreign land and we'll kind of, we'll make it work for these two children that we love. And Nikki and I grew up side by side as brother and sister. You know, the thing about people who who have their lives taken from them due to violence, men's violence, and particularly women who have their lives taken from them, is they're often thought of just as the way that they died, right? Like that Mm -hmm. they're, you know, a victim of a stabbing or an attack or something. But the Nikki that I knew was a generous, kind-hearted, independent, ambitious, creative um, and gorgeous young woman, right, with agency and autonomy. And she found herself in a relationship with a man who didn't like the things that we loved about her, you know, that she was this independent and creative soul. And he, when she tried to end her relationship with him at the start of 2015, he killed her. And I remember, like, the moment that my parents told me what had happened. And it's because two blue uniformed police officers came to knock on their door. And they asked my parents, do you know Nikita Chola? And my mum was like, yes, is she okay? And the night before, I'd exchanged texts with my sister to be like, hey, you coming to lunch on Sunday? Because we'd made plans. This was Thursday Mm -hmm. night. And I was like, hey, are you coming over Sunday? And she was like, yeah, I wouldn't miss it. Can't wait. And then I was like, cool, see you then, right? And I didn't think anything of it because you don't. So it's the most normal conversation Mm. you have with your friends or siblings. Like, I'll just see you when I see you. Yeah. And my mum tells me that she spoke to Nikki and Nikki was like, hey, mum, I'm running late for something. I've got to go. And then my mum said, and she finds it so poetic because it was the last person she spoke to in our family was dad. And she goes, just say bye to dad first, right? Because Nikki was dad's little girl right? Like they had like the closest bond, you know, and I grew up pretty much and I still am, you know, a mama's boy, right? So I think that was the kind of dynamic that we had in our family. And dad had said to, to Nikki, like, you know, good night, I'll talk to you tomorrow. And then Nikki went and in the intervening time was when her life was taken from her. 
And that's when my parents found out the following morning when the police had kind of knocked on the door and they were like, you know, what's going on? And the police were like, I think we need to go inside. I think we should sit down. And they told my parents, you know, they told mm. my parents that, you know, Nikki has been killed overnight and um, we're here to tell you. And then they gave them information about homicide and the process and stuff. And then my parents came to to my house and I, for the life of me, will never understand how anyone let them get behind the wheel of a car because mm. they drove 20 minutes to my place. And it's like you can't, like, I don't think you can give someone news like that and then be like, I'll go and drive, no right? Way. Like, yeah, like we don't let people drive in altered states of mind. I'm pretty sure that the level of grief that a parent has in the moment of hearing that, you know, and shock of hearing that their child has been murdered, that, you know, they shouldn't be getting behind the wheel of a car. But they made it safely, you know, thankfully, and they told me. And I remember just, like, them kind of, like, crashing into my grey sofa in the corner and just, like, this whole release of emotion. Like, mum couldn't stop crying. And dad just looked broken. Like, he just looked, his eyes were red. He wasn't crying. I think he was, like, out of tears, mm. right? And he was just so fundamentally broken. And that sort of, that moment spurred something that I've sort of kept on in different ways where I believe in, like, the importance of trying to stop this. You know, like it's, mm. we're recording this like late March, right, Abby? And there, there's been 11 women killed nationally, mm. you know, in 10 weeks. Like it's kind of, it's this kind of thing where we don't as a society really grasp just how significant this problem is. Mm. And when we do, we always think of it in terms of like the horrific examples. We think of it in terms of like Hannah Clark or Tara Brown or what mm -hmm. happened to Nikki. Like we don't think about, the full spectrum, you know, like even when we think about like celebrity stuff, like what's happening with Kim and Kanye at the moment, we just yeah. think of that as like gossip, right? But we don't actually frame it as what it what it is, which is yeah. like abuse happening before our very eyes. And it's kind of, it's alarming that as a society, we're not really able to have these conversations yet around the treatment of women and the role that men play in eradicating all forms of abuse against women. So I wanted to have this episode as something that maybe, because obviously my audience is mainly women and non-binary people or people in the queer community. And there are many straight men who are listening to my podcast. So I wanted to kind of have it when I was driving here today, I was thinking, you know, like whenever I come to the podcast, I think like, what's the purpose of this episode? Hmm. And I think that I want this to be something people can send to their brothers or their partners or, you know, you know, if you've had a conversation with someone to try and explain the severity of this or to try to explain the Kim and Kanye situation hmm. um, and the outright... I'm going to say abuse that he's putting onto her publicly and not everyone seems to think it's a bit, a bit of a fucking joke, to be honest. Mm. Um, and like you say, like it's gossip. And they can hear from A, someone who has been through it, but also B, from someone who they can relate to because as we know, a lot of the time men don't really listen to women and people mm. don't listen to those who are marginalised. Unfortunately, it takes people who are in the same group as them to mm. get through to them. So yeah. I wanted to ask you just straight up, this is probably a very obvious question, but what do you think those straight men can do? And I know we always say, you know, call out your mates, but do you have any more specific examples? Do you have more resources? What what do you think can be done? Because as you said, this is so much, such a huge issue that I think only women and people who are known to victims are mm. really talking about and are passionate about. Like, it's like we're screaming into a void. Yeah. No, that's really true. All of that, I agree with everything that you said. And the thing that I find is twofold is that, firstly, men listen to other men and they listen to men that are like them. So there are men who won't even listen to me like because yeah. I'm a migrant and a person of colour. So yeah. they won't even listen to me. They'll be like, you know, fuck that guy. What would mm -hmm. he know? Mm -hmm. You know, or why should, I, why should I take him seriously, Right. But then there are certain privileges that I have, right? Like I'm university educated and stuff, so I can speak their language, right? Mm -hmm. And I can kind of connect with them on that level. And the one thing that I would say around what can men do is that calling out is so insufficient, right? Like it's a mm -hmm. great start. But I think if there's one thing that men can do, and this transcends abuse and violence, is listen to women. Like mm -hmm. genuinely listen to women, you know? And I, 
I'm conscious of not saying things like believe survivors to men because then the often often the, the comeback is, well, some women lie or some people make it up, right? And all of them have an example of a friend that... Every single one that doesn't want to listen to women, they say, well, my mate's ex-girlfriend said this. Every single one of them has mm. a friend of a friend Every of a friend one. example. Yeah. Yeah. So instead of that, right, instead of go getting into like who's telling the truth and making out like this whole like he said, she said thing and more fodder, right, for, mm. for, for men is actually just going, hey, men, how about we collectively shut up and listen? Mm. Like mm. genuinely listen to what women are saying and hear them. Like don't offer explanation, don't offer excuse, don't offer valid, you know, anything other than just validation. They're like, I hear you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like that is the like the single most first step that I think most men can do, myself included, right? So it's, it's a practice. Like we have to do this, you know, with the women in my life when they say something to me. Um, the way I would listen to men, because I've been conditioned to listen to men, Right, and this is the this is the whole thing about society, and when it comes to like gender and norms, right? Like if we think about the people that read the news, they're most often middle-aged, straight, white men. Mm-hmm. You know, with the same haircut. It's like they came from a factory, and they're all kind of mm-hmm. just made to be the same, same because society suit, decided same brown shoes, same yeah. haircut. Yeah, sitting yeah. having society their espressos decided, in the morning. Yeah, that they were the ones that we would attribute trust to. So when someone else speaks that isn't like that, whether it's, you know, any woman, right, but le- least of all, like, a queer woman of colour, right, we're, as a society, conditioned not to listen to them. And mm-hmm. we need to undo our own bias. We need to undo our own like, kind of, like, conditioning about why we perceive certain people in a certain way. And even those who are from those communities, we have to do the work, right? Mm-hmm. Like, coming from an Indian background... You're socialized into certain things around, you know, light skin, light colored skin being like more advantageous or prettier than dark colored skin. Mm-hmm. That's like something that's taught to you. And that's like a kind of a byproduct of colonialism and kind of like, you know, colonizers thought around what is pretty and what isn't. So it's kind of like you have to undo your own stuff. And we're all at different paths in that journey. But the thing for men that's so crucial and it's so easy is just starting to listen to the voices of women, mm-hmm. you know, and, you, and it can be the women in your life. It can mm-hmm. be the content that you consume on social media. And like, I know so many guys, right, who will just follow influencers for the hot pics that they post, mm-hmm. but they will never interact with the, the stories that they post when it's an issue that they care about or mm-hmm. it's something that's on their mind that they think, you know, and it's like, listen to women who have opinions, listen to women who have thoughts, listen mm-hmm. to them as whole human beings not just objects, you know, or vessels for your dick, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because that, that there, right, is like the shift that we haven't made in society yet, that mm. not enough men think of women as whole human beings. And we're seeing that play out in the Kim and Kanye thing, right? We're seeing that play out yeah. in terms of like her agency, right, and, and how Kanye thinks of her as an individual human being. We, we saw that in my family when my sister's um, partner, took her life because mm-hmm. she wanted to end her relationship, right? And so his attitude was, if I can't have you, no one can. Mm. And that's like the single most dangerous time for a woman in an abusive relationship is when she's leaving or contemplating leaving or has left, you know, this, the period separated, you know, yep. post-separation. And so that's why I find what's happening with Kim and Kanye so deeply concerning as well because mm-hmm. it's like these threats and these, this harassment is playing out in front of us. And yet so many people are just like, oh, laughing it off or going, oh, skeet, like what a loser, you know, referring to Pete Davidson. Mm. And it's like it's, it's, it's past the point of being funny and it's definitely not cute, no. you know, like so it's kind of like what's, what's actually going on here and can we as a society maybe look at this and think that there are a lot of women in that situation and we don't have to, you know, we don't have to like Kim. You know, um, I'm, I've never been a big fan of Kim Kardashian. Mm. I haven't watched the show. Um, if anything, I'm a big fan of Kanye West, right? Like I've listened to his, I grew up listening to his music. I still sometimes listen to it, the early stuff especially. Um, I've got, I mean, like I've got it on vinyl. Like I've got yeah. this, oh. My Beautiful yeah. Dark Twisted Fantasy. And I, I pulled it out before we spoke today because I was like looking at it. And the thought that I was, ha- I was having was um, we often hear about like, 
you know, whether it's footballers or like actors or different entertainers doing horrible things, right? And then we have this kind of like, oh, can we separate the art from the artist or, Mm -hmm. you know, can we, like, how do we reconcile this and whatever? And the way that I like to think about this is that if we take Kanye, Kanye or Ye as he goes by now, um, geez, he's lost it. Uh, Mm. Kanye, he can on the one hand be phenomenal at what he does, right? He can be a great entertainer, incredible producer, one of the best music artists of this generation. People can debate that, you know, forever, right? And he can also be someone who commits domestic abuse. Mm -hmm. And one doesn't, you know, one doesn't take away from the other. In fact, the fact that he does all this amazing stuff doesn't, downplay or diminish his actions, right? And it doesn't, it doesn't excuse them, it doesn't diminish them, it doesn't validate them in any, in any way. But the conversation that I think people have is this kind of like binary, like they only can think of people as being one way. Mm-hmm. But the, the beauty of thinking of people as complicated human beings is that we understand that whether it's Kanye West or it's a, a person that we know, right? Like whether it's a man that we know, like one of our mates, right, who we think of as a great guy could be a great guy to us and he could also be someone that treats the women in his life like shit, Mm. you know, and both can be true. Absolutely. I mean, I've had, I won't go too into it because this person kind of scares me, Uh, but when I was seeing someone, he told me one time that he'd met my ex-boyfriend and we had this huge fight where he was screaming at me on the street because I was a lying fucking bitch because he met my ex-boyfriend and he was a really nice guy and that meant that I'd made up every single thing he'd done to me, like my ex-boyfriend. And my ex-boyfriend wasn't... I'd, he'd, like, cheated on me and had, like, mm. gas at me, but he wasn't... I would never said he was, like, violent or an awful person. I'd even said, I think you'd like him if you met him, but, like, to me, he was an awful boyfriend, you know? Yeah. Um, but this person was, like like losing his mind because he thought that his evidence of meeting my ex out at, I think, a house party for an hour was I had lied to him and I was a manipulative bitch because I'd made it all up. And I think now when I think back to it, I think it's because he was, I mean, obviously he was verbally abusive that night. I think that he was thinking about, he felt attacked by how I had recounted my relationship with my ex-boyfriend and he felt like, oh, that's how you're going to recount our relationship. And if I tell everyone that you're crazy and you've made it up, then I can use the same excuse for for me. Mm. So I think men really struggle. I've had mult. I've ended friendships. People won't believe me when, like, one of my friends told me she was raped and by someone who I was hanging around, I she called me while I was with him because um, she found mm. out I was around him. And I was like, oh, my God, she was crying on the phone. I was like, oh, my God, like I was with him for a job mm. and I ended up cancelling the job. But um, she told me that and was like crying, was like, get away from him for your safety. And then I told my other friend about it and he said that, well, we don't know that happened. And I was mm. like, what? Okay, first of all, just believe our friend. Second of all, what would she get from calling me mid? I was at a shoot. Like what would she get from that crying being like, I'm worried about your safety, don't go out for drinks with him? what would she get from that? And I think men really struggle to believe that anyone they have a good experience with is anything but their mate. Um, yep. or and, and they're also, I think it's very easy and they want to deny that that is a reality. It's like when the Aziz Ansari thing happened, when he had mm. been, where everyone said, well, if that's sexual assault, then, you know, everyone that I know has sexually assaulted someone. And it's like, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that, that, that's, the, that's point, the point, right? Like, that's, that's what we've the been point. saying. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we we as a society have to, like, have, have this kind of attitude shift, right, where instead of saying, you know, and firstly, like, thank you for sharing that, Abby, and I'm really sorry that that happened because it's bullshit, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, and it's bullshit because it's, A, it happened to you, and B, it's so common, right? Mm. Like, every every woman I know has a story of, you know, being abused in some way, right? And yet so few men that I know will openly go, oh, I'm not proud of the way that I've behaved in the past and Mm. I'm on a path to redemption. Because the whole Aziz Ansari thing was fascinating to me because it was like exactly what you said. Everyone was like, well, 
then everyone's done it. And it's like, well, that's the problem. That's how we're that's saying literally, of people. That's literally the problem yeah. is that, you know, and I think it gets caught up in discussions around cancel culture when it happens to celebrities. But for the rest of us, for all of us, it's less about cancel culture and more about how are we going to be the best version of ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Like I don't know any men that would be proud if they heard that the women in their lives secretly think that they're a creep right, mm, or that mm-hmm. the way that they behave towards women is unacceptable. Like no, none of the men that, that I would ever interact with would be proud of that. And yet we've all done that. I've probably done that, right? So it's kind of like this thing where we've got we've to, you know, really reflect and examine and go, okay, how, you know, how, how does this work? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that, that's been weighing on my mind a lot with this Kim and Kanye thing is just the way that he's been you know, engaging in this abuse, right? Like he's been, he's been antagonising Kim's new partner, right? Or he's been, one of the things that we see so often when it comes to separation is bringing the kids into it, right? Yes. And he's blaming Kim publicly for being a bad mum. You know, in February, you know, last month, he was like saying stuff about the Instagram account or sorry, the TikTok TikTok, account that North had. Right, and was saying that was created against my will. Right, as though like it's not a co-parenting situation. It's like he dictates terms. Like mm-hmm. he's the boss, and if it doesn't get his tick of approval, then Kim shouldn't do it. And that's a horrible way for anyone to live. Mm-hmm. Right, in any relationship, whether it's you know a heterosexual relationship or a queer relationship. But at the end of the day, that kind of power and control of another person, that's a form of abuse. Right, and I think we need to think about that as what it really is. And then he's doing other stuff, like the way that he's antagonizing Pete Davidson. Like he'd have these kind of things on um, Instagram, like on Valentine's Day, when he said, "Hold your spouse close. Make sure they know how much you love and appreciate them, because there's a skeet, Pete Davidson, skeet yeah. lurking in every dirty alley, waiting to help destroy your family and walk around, walk around your house in Calvin Klein's around your children." And then on Valentine's Day, he was like. If, and this is all caps, classic Kanye. He was like, if you see Skeet in real life, scream at the loser at the top of your lungs and say yeah. Kimye forever. And like Pete Davidson, if you go on his socials, right, um, I'm not sure if he's off them at the moment, but when I went on them, everyone was just writing Skeet and find God, which mm-hmm. is like the two things Kanye had written about him, right? And it's like he won't, he won't just let it go. You know, he won't just leave it alone. And people are like, well... He wants his family back together. And that's the kind of the strange thing, right, where it's like you can want your family back together, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But if you approach it by harassing and mm-hmm. antagonising the new partner and your ex, then you're engaging in harassment and abuse, right? That's not the way. A, it's a very ineffective way to get your partner back, right? Like it, it just, if that's your goal, get a new strategy. And B, it's not, it's not okay, right? And we're... And, the thing, the thing about this is it's so complicated because Kim has lived a lot of her life openly for publicity. And so a lot of people are like, well, what, what did she expect or what did she think? And, folks, that's victim-blaming, mm-hmm. right? Because even if she lives her life for publicity and openly, she doesn't deserve, regardless of whether or not we're fans of her, Right, she doesn't deserve to be treated in a way that amounts to harassment and abuse by her ex. Like that's that's the baseline for all of this. That's the baseline. Yeah, yeah. Two things can be true, right? Like Kim Kardashian's like you know diet stuff, or um, just generally like appropriating of black culture yeah. and. Uh, you know, the the comments she made recently around how people don't want to work, or women in particular don't want to work hard, right? And that's the problem. And it's like, well, you were born into wealth and you had everything handed to Mm. you and you've made some very astute business decisions, but the comments are, you know, they're they're sort of lost touch with the rest of kind of society and the community, I'd say. So two things can be true, right? Like whether it's Yolanda Hadid, Kim Kardashian, um, or anything, or whether whether it's on the spectrum of victim survivors or abusers and perpetrators. Two things can be true, you know? So it's sort of like things can be true that mess with our brains a little bit. And I think if we can reconcile those two things, we'll be less around like trying to deny the experiences of women 
and actually listening to them, you know, Absolutely. with what, what they're experiencing. I was thinking before when you were talking about um, how, you know, things have come out like these football players or these other celebrities, actors, whatever, and how everyone goes, wow, he must have snapped. It's all uh, such a shock. How did we not mm. know? He's such a good person. Da, 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 da. But with Kanye, we're literally seeing what women who go through domestic violence and try to leave relationships, we're seeing it in public. And in fact, he is posting it, yeah. showing us what happens with harassment and everyone is still making a joke out of it. No one's listening still. Can I just say, yeah. I think the issue here is actually the term harassment and bullying is not fully understood by people. Yes. I think. Yep. Like this morning, yep. for example, uh, I have my partner's 10-year-old, uh, my stepson. He went to the kitchen and started calling his sister, uh, what did he call her? Hypocrite. 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 He kept repeating it. So I took him on the side and I'm like, repeated behavior with the intention of hurting the person in front of you is harassment. Right now, mm. you are harassing your sister. You are bullying your sister. So I had to label the situation and he was so shocked about it. Mm -hmm. But then this is basically what it is. It's like men repeating that specific behavior, the repetition is the root of the harassment. Mm. And then they say, but I didn't hit her. But I didn't yeah. do this. And yeah. I'm much better than these other guys that yeah. actually punched them. I didn't even, I mean, she put me to that point and I didn't even do it, you know? Yeah. I'm just going to be calling her that name or texting her just like a lot of my friends who have been also divorced with men absolutely harassing them the exact same yeah. way as I'm seeing with Kim and Kanye. And they don't even recognize that it's harassment. That's the issue. They don't know yeah. what harassment no. is. <laughs> like, and a lot of people don't, that's such a good point, Lem, because a, a lot of people don't, think of the role of technology in all of this, right? So, like, we were chatting before, Abby, like how I hosted this new podcast, There's No Place Like Home. We talk to um, and, and hear from 10 victim survivors about their experiences of domestic abuse. And so often, you know, one of the things is firstly as a society, I think we, we talk about victim survivors, particularly women that have experienced abuse. We talk at them. But we, we very rarely, like, just talk to them and mm -hmm. listen to what they have to say. Mm. So, first, like, for me, it was really important that we kind of do that in this project. And then one of the other things that I heard, you know, from all the interviews that we did was just how common using technology was for, you know, for, for them to be abused, right? So what Lem said around harassment and, and harassing and stalking behaviour, but using technology to do that, the same way that Kanye is doing that now. Mm -hmm. And women don't know... You know, survivors don't know, is my partner or my ex-partner going to be the one that gets physical or is it going to stop with this? Mm -hmm. They have no way of knowing. You know, like my sister wouldn't have known that her ex-partner would have snapped to that extent. You know, and, and we, we talk about it like that, right? We talk about it like snapped, but it's like an escalation yes. of abuse. It's an escalation of a pattern of power and control. And so that's the thing, right? Like, and Kanye's made, you know, it's it's under the quote unquote realm of art, right? Because he's wrapped it in his new song "Easy," where he where he talks about he goes, "God save me from that crash," because he had a car crash in October two thousand and two, right? Where his jaw was broken in three places, and then he wrapped like with his jaw still like wired shut through the mm. wire, and won all this like critical acclaim, right? Rightfully so. But that's another argument, right? That doesn't diminish anything that he's saying. But he goes, God saved me from that crash just so I could kick Pete Davidson's ass, right? And then he's got a video clip where he's showing him burying Pete Davidson alive, right? And it's like claymation, so it looks like it, you can tell who it is. And if it was like in isolation and the relationship was otherwise good, you know, maybe you could brush it off. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not a moral kind of arbiter. But when there's this ongoing pattern and Kim has expressed, you know, how difficult this is making her life and the life, you know, life for her children, then any good man in, in Kanye West's position has an obligation and a duty to go, you know what, I need to step back. Mm. It's not my job and it's not okay for me to harass, to stalk, to kind of get into, you know, and meddle and interfere in the life of my ex and her new partner, right? But he's not doing that, right? What he's doing is, is almost like 
if there's anything for us, it's community service to look at and go, what does domestic abuse look like when it's non-physical and it takes part, you know, for everyone to see? And so few people are commenting on it, right? Like so few celebrities are going, Kanye, this isn't okay, man. Like he's surrounded by enablers and yes people who will just, you know, go along with him. The mm-hmm. same for Chris Brown, right? Like, and he was physically abusive towards Rihanna. Like that's not in question. And yet other entertainers will get up and go, yeah, he's a good guy. You know, it's like, well, yeah. what kind of good guy does this? Yeah, I remember when that, when that happened um, with Rihanna, I think I was quite young. I must have been like 14 or 15 or something. Mm. And I remember the whole narrative was, well, he came from an abusive household, so he can't help that he yeah. hit Rihanna, which obviously, you know, it is a cycle, but it's not the like the whole narrative around what I, what I understood when I was 14 years old was like, okay, well... You know that's why, like, like he can't he can't help it. And then obviously I turned fourteen and a half and fucking. Do you know what I mean? But like as a kid, you're like yeah. as a young woman, especially, you think like, okay, well that's how that's how he's been treated. So that's how he's going to treat her, and there's nothing we can yeah. do about it. And that's it. Yeah, and child victims don't necessarily grow up to become abusers no. or have to grow up to become abusers, right? And this whole thing, right, is for, with Chris Brown and Kanye is further complicated by issues of race you know, and like the treatment of black men and how black men are perceived, right? So, but none of those discussions are happening. None of those discussions are happening because what is apparent, which is the harassment and the abuse and the stalking behaviour, nothing's really being done about that. I mean, like Instagram gave him a 24-hour ban on posting and and kind of responding to DMs. And it was like, what is that really going to do? You know, what is is a 24-hour ban on Instagram going to do in tangible terms? And I wonder, you know, I wonder whether he's alienated all of the people around him, you know, because I don't see anyone, you know, I don't see Jay-Z or anyone kind of being like, hey, man, like this is, this is enough. Yeah. Right? Like, is it, yeah. You wonder if it's alienation or if it's that they just don't want to get involved. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Like it's, it doesn't have to be public, you know, and when it, when it comes to the rest of us, not the Kims and Kanye's of the world, there are so many things that we can do that mm. I think we don't do, men in particular. And it starts with, the fundamental thing, it starts with listening to the voices of women. You know, mm. it starts with listening to them and their experiences, you know. So when they, when we hear more and, and women disclose more about things that they experience and how the world is different for them, right, and how it's different for other minority groups, whether it's women of colour, whether it's the queer community, whoever it may be, right, when we start listening to those people, I think that we actually are able to address issues in a more holistic way. Um, But sadly, we're not doing that. No. I remember uh, after Eurydice Dixon was murdered uh, Mm. in Melbourne, my, I remember I called my boyfriend at the time and I was very upset because it just was kind of like one of those moments where like everything comes like crashing down and you're like, yeah, I am fucking terrified walking home. Mm. And I remember his solution to that was to be like, he was like, it's not going to happen to you, but here's a knife. So he like bought me a knife to carry around with me everywhere. And I was like, I'm going to get murdered with the knife that you got me. Like, how the fuck does that happen? Instead of being like, okay, well, how about... um, Honestly, most of the time, like you say, most of the time when you're talking to your partner, if you're in a, in a straight relationship and they are a man, like they are the person, they are the group that you feel endangered by and you are trying to explain something, most of the time you're right. You just want someone to like listen to you and be like, okay, what can I do to help? But also that's fucked. I wish it wasn't like that. Yeah. What can I do to look out for early signs of whatever? Instead of being like, you're being crazy, here's a knife. Like, yeah. how and it's does such that a, help me? Yeah, it's such a shitty solution. The right? worst like, solution would be a huge yeah, fan. Yeah, it's like, I mean, it's like, the it's not that different from the argument around like, you know, gun crime in the United 100%. States or wherever. It's like, oh, just if there were more guns, then people could protect themselves. Yeah. And it's like, well, I'm pretty sure that is not working. As, as, you know, a lot of, enough people have guns and it's not working. Yeah. So adding more guns to the mix isn't going to fix it. And Seems it's like, if, you know, it's like abusive and violent men. It's like 
the whole self-defense argument, right? I can understand the need for self-defense as being important, but it's not the solution. No. Right? It's definitely not the solution. And arming yourself is a horrible way to address what is a men's behavioural problem, right? Like women have the right, whether it's at home, in public, at work, to be safe. You know, we're hearing countless examples of, thankfully we're hearing more, about just how uncommon it is for women to feel safe, let alone to be safe, you know? And it's not always that pointy end, right? It's not always the, you know, what happened to Nikki or the 11 women so far this year. Uh, Mm. It's not always that, right? It's the whole spectrum of abuse, you know, from like, you remember when, like, and I think you talked about this, Abby, when, like, the men in, I think it was in Perth, where they were just, like, catcalling women and raiding them. Yes, that right? was. And objectifying like, them. Yeah. That was pretty yeah. recently. Like, that kind of stuff, yeah. right? I think as men, we need to, you know, and particularly for the men who, whose partners or whose friends pass this along to them and are listening to my voice, is to take stock of the fact that, like, that kind of behaviour, right, we might think of as being, like, oh, it's just, you know, just bans, like it's just mm. trivial, you know, it mm. doesn't really mean anything. But if you are going into the space of another person to rank their appearance, right, and they didn't ask you, like they didn't go, hey, how would you rate me out of 10, yeah. right? Because then then it's like, yeah, okay, you answered, right? Yeah. Here you're literally going into their space and just saying things that they don't want to hear, mm. And you're and waiting there. And they don't there. deserve to hear. They were waiting there, like within a spiderweb, waiting for. Like they were sitting. They 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 propped themselves up on chairs on a running track yeah. to rate women as they walked past. And I don't think people understand the way that like that trickles down into abuse. It's the mm. objectification of women then allows men to not listen to women, which allows abuse to thrive. It's not just that women are upset they got... Because all the dickheads in my comments, most of them were very supportive and like, fuck these guys, but all the dickheads that were trying to support these men were saying like, oh, they're just pissed because they got a 2 out of 10. No one gives a fuck what three random men are sitting on a hill think about looks-wise what we are. The issue is it's a violation of your personal existence, someone saying, and you're worth four. Even yeah. if you were worth ten, it's like, yuck, get the fuck away from me. Nothing to do with actual rating. Yeah, and to the men, that to those, you know, dickheads in the comments, it's like, bro, is this the hill that you want to die on? Yeah. Like, is this, is, this, is this really, like, three dudes you don't know ranking women that don't deserve any intrusion in their lives? Yeah. Right? Is that really the hill that you want to die on? And seemingly it is because, like, this whole issue exists because, like you were saying, Abby, the objectification of women normalises, I would argue, like normalises a culture where women are treated as less than, right? And that extends beyond just women to like other, you know, minority communities, right? And so these men in doing what they're doing might think it's harmless fun. They might think it's just a bit of a joke or a light afternoon off. And I would say to them, if, you're, if you need an afternoon off, get a new hobby, Right, yeah. find find something that doesn't require making other women feel uncomfortable for you to feel good about yourselves. Absolutely. Right? And and it's that thing, right, where it's a whole spectrum. You know, it's from the cat calling to name calling to like, you know, th- there's so many examples of of the way women are objectified. Like one of the things that and I noticed this especially after lockdown lifted. Remember going out and stuff. And seeing the amount of men that would move women from their hips. Oh my god, it's you know, so the bar. fucking annoying. It's, and it's like fucked. It's like fuck, bro. You could just say excuse me, right? Worst case, you can tap someone on the shoulder if they don't hear you, yeah. right? And it's a crowded place or something, you know. But like the whole idea of like leaning in, grabbing them, you know, and and sh- like physically and shifting them. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it's happened like, to dude. me, yes. <laughs> happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Or they'll yeah. just like, sorry, yeah. doll, and nudge you to the side. And then when you yeah. say, and if you have a conversation about it, you know, men will be like, it's not a sexual thing. It's just because you're in the way. It's like, but if you did it to a guy, if they did it to another man, they go, no, that's gay. And like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, yeah. so if it's not Bro, sexual, don't touch me. Like, if it's not a gender thing, yeah. then why aren't you doing it to men? Yeah. I don't see them placing yeah. men around yeah. as they like the little chess pieces around the bar. Yeah. Yeah, and then like to guys that say that, like, bro, look, fucking, it's just I'm just like having fun, like whatever, and yeah. it's like, 
<laughs> man, try try that. Try that with one of your mates. See, honestly, yeah. see his reaction. See how he feels when you cradle him by both hips and you physically move his form three feet to the yeah. left. Like yeah. fucking try that see and happens. see what happens. Also, when you want to have fun, both people have to be having fun, not just yeah, you. Touche. It's a two-way yeah. straight. Two-way fun straight. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, and this is the stuff, right, that a lot of men, because a lot of men are like, well, I wouldn't hit a woman or I'm not abusive. Like I don't, you know, I don't call my girlfriend a bitch or anything. And it's like that's that's like the lowest bar. <laughs> yeah. Like not yeah. hitting a partner is the fucking baseline. It's on the floor, right? yeah. But if you are behaving in a way that is instilling like an ongoing sense of, um, you know, fear in your partner, then, bro, that's that's a problem, you know. Yeah. And, and you know what? The, the, the caveat to that is that there is no shame in getting help. You know, like Pete Davidson has talked about a lot of, you know, because he lost his dad in 9-11 and he's talked about, you know, taking medication for depression and, and anxiety and he's talked about a lot of the the issues that come with not only grief and PTSD but generally, you know, the, the stuff that comes with being human, right? And I think it's so important that men who are worried about, you know, their behaviour or even just want to get to know themselves more invest in that, like invest mm. in therapy, mm. right? The same way you'd invest in, I don't know, whatever you spend your money on. Your whiteboard that you're going to yeah. sit on the hill holding up. How about exactly. you, instead exactly. going to Office Works, yeah. Yeah. you go to a therapist. Yeah, save that money that you spent at Office Works to pay the like Medicare gap payment for like yeah. your mental health care plan. Like what, uh. like, you know, just talk to someone because that's not cool. And seemingly like it's weird how so many people want to defend that. Like they're like, oh, political correctness gone mad. Or you can't do anything anymore. You can't scream like, oh. at your girlfriend anymore. You can't. Yeah. You can't intimidate your girlfriend physically anymore. What's wrong yeah. with the world? Also, yeah. I was talking the other day, just as a very small caveat, because we we're out of time. We're talking for so long. Classic us. Um, the other day, we were talking about cancel culture, quote unquote, um, in the office at the radio show, and I was like, guys, first of all, cancel culture doesn't exist. But I was like, name one person's been cancelled. We can't. Chris Brown hit Rihanna, still makes music. Everyone says like, oh, like Ellen. And I'm like, still has her TV show. Also, let's compare. Well, Chris Brown, he, he has beaten his partner repeatedly and then Ellen was a bit of an asshole boss. Like those are the things. And when you look at the reason why, and then people, we were listing people who we think were being cancelled, trying to think of someone that had been cancelled because I was like, my argument is no one has ever truly been cancelled. They may have their profile minimised, but I can't think of anyone that has truly, truly ever been cancelled. And I think it's right-wing rhetoric, except for except for the chicks, fully known as Dixie Chicks, by the right wing. So yeah. it's like a right-wing propaganda thing, I believe. That's what I heard on um, Stuff You Should... No, not Stuff You Should Know. That song um, slaps, by the way. You know, the Not Ready to Make Nice? Like, I'm just gonna go, yeah, I love yeah. that song. Yeah, like, yeah they... When, yeah. And when I when I learned the meaning behind the words, right, because you can hear the anger, like the visceral yeah. anger, right? Then when you hear the, the meaning, you're like, shit, that's... Yeah. It's fucking great. But go when Queens. You, when yeah. you think about, like, people getting cancelled... If you made a list of all the all the people that were cancelled, and you separated them to men and women, the men would all yeah. be beating someone, murdering. I mean, OJ Simpson is still doing club appearances. Yeah, he still Florida. he still does like gigs and stuff. Like he still gets paid to you know. Like, speak and to people like Chrissy Teigen, I'm like, yeah, Chrissy Teigen horribly trolled someone. Um, who did she troll? She trolled like, Courtney Stodden. She trolled someone online. Absolutely disgusting behaviour, but. That's the worst, 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 worst example we can think of. I'm sure there are a million other things. You know, I'm not saying they're the worst in the world, but I'm saying in terms of our first reaction of who yeah. we list off, it's very different. Yeah. And a lot of the people that you mentioned are either black or from an ethnic minority group, yeah. right? So, like, a lot of white white men just don't tend to get cancelled, right? They don't even they don't even need to do anything for redemption, mm. right? And to me, the whole thing is broken because it's like, firstly, I think that cancel culture doesn't help anyone. Like, I don't think it helps, like, victims. You know, I believe in redemption. You know, I believe in accountability, right? And if someone loses their their position of influence and power as a consequence of their actions, I don't see that as being cancelled. I see that in the same way that, like, if you do something in any other position, right, that there are consequences for mm. those actions. That like doesn't mean you're being or something. Like if yeah, you exactly. do something bad, exactly. Yeah, right. yeah, like if you go and beat up someone at work, 
right? You get in trouble for that. And so, you know, now with the blurring of private and and public boundaries, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, we're becoming more aware of how people behave in domestic settings and the kind of the horrible, insidious nature of domestic abuse. And so if men in particular are being held accountable for that, that's not a bad thing, but Mm. it's not happening. It's not happening when, you know, people like Wayne Carey kind of like, you know, who have allegations made against them in the past and they kind of like, he's just kind of living his life now. You know, I think he's going to be on SAS Australia or something. And it's like, you know, what, where's the conversation as a, as, a, as a society that's not being had by only women? You know, yeah. where, are, where are men going, hey, we can't find anyone else, you know? Mm, exactly. Um, yeah, and when it comes in Australia, when it comes to sporting heroes, fuck, we like, we will, we will excuse anything in Australia if a man is good, you know. If they can kick a footy. It's yeah, like, with a football. It's like, wow. Yeah. Like, they can do no wrong. Yeah, um, I was going to say if is, they're good with balls, but then I thought, nah, that's not what I meant. Like, yeah, no, no, no. Um, this has been such an amazing, an amazing chat, as always. We've gone over time as per. <laughs> but, Terang, thank you so much. So we'll, we'll link your podcast in the show notes. There's no place like home as a podcast. I'll be listening. I'll be binging it, I'm sure. Um, we'll link it. Everyone find Terang on Instagram. Is it just Terang Chola? Yeah, it's just my name. Okay, Easy amazing. Yeah. It's just your name, Train Chola. We love it. Thank you so much for sharing your sister's story and your education as always. I literally just want to sit here. I mean, I'm glad you have a podcast now because I can do this now. But I think I've said for ages to you that I love listening to you talk. Like having you on the podcast is just so wonderful. I have like goosebumps when you're speaking. So thank oh, you so much so for much. your time yeah. and your I'm emotional sorry. energy. No, I'm sorry that we can't be there in person. I, um, I'm still testing positive to COVID, which is uh, unfortunate. But How many days has it been? I think like day five now. Yeah. Babe, you poor yeah. thing. Thank, well, thank you for coming on with COVID as well. Like, I really, really, right. really appreciate it. Yeah. You're an absolute legend. We'll be back on Friday for Nightmare Fuel with Rang. So uh, we'll see you then. Listener.